Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism Podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Ann, Chelsea's mom. And today we're going to be answering your questions that you sent us on Instagram and Facebook and some on our email. Yeah, so thank you for all your great questions. We weren't expecting this many, so we're probably going to break it up into two separate episodes. So if you don't hear your question, stay tuned for the next episode and we'll answer it then. So the first question is that I suspect my fourth grade child has selective mutism and the teachers say that she doesn't talk at school at all. So where do I go for help? What is the first step? The first step is to get your diagnosis. So you want to find someone who is experienced with treating selective mutism? Yep, start with your pediatrician, talk to them about it. They may have a referral already. They may know somebody in the area that has treated uh, other kids or patients with SM. You could also call your insurance company. I know in the U.S. it depends on who your insurance is, and they'll have a list of psychologists in your area that you can contact. I know with Chelsea, you had to call each office individually and specifically ask, have they treated any children with SM before? I also have a resource that I'll put in the show notes from the Selective Mutism Association, or you could just go to selectivemutism.org and they have a section on finding a treating professional. So they have a whole list by state. They have a whole list of people who have experience, so you could look up your state and find who in your area treats selective mutism. Where are you gonna post that? Right in the show notes. So okay. when you're listening to this episode, you can look okay, that's at a, the information. It's a great list. Um, and I do think it is important to have someone who has had experience with SM. I know it's not always possible for people that live, you know, rural areas. Uh-huh. So finding a therapist, I guess getting a diagnosis, getting a therapist. Yep. And to be honest, I don't even know if you need that diagnosis to start. I wouldn't right. get hung up on that. You know, if you have a concern, whatever, talk to your pediatrician, get a referral, or call your insurance company and just start some therapy. I think the sooner the better. You don't. She's in fourth grade, so you would should start as soon as possible mm-hmm. so that she can enjoy her school experience. And that whole process, I know too, can just is very time consuming. You know, you're waiting to get into the pediatrician, then you're waiting for the referral, you're waiting to have that appointment set up, insurance. You know, that's great to have that ball rolling, but I would actually just start, uh, if you have concerns, I would start right away making a sticker chart with some goals. Mm -hmm. Even if it's one goal, pick one goal that you and your child would like to accomplish. You know, whether it's a verbal goal or it could just be a a goal of um, waving to somebody, to a teacher. Um, But I would start that right away. Just pick at least one goal, make a sticker chart, have a reward in mind. It doesn't have to be anything huge, just... uh, a small reward, something your child would enjoy if they accomplish. And it doesn't have to be every day. They don't have to get the sticker every day. But if they do it maybe three days out of seven, then they get a reward because you really want to focus on the positive Mm -hmm. and have them accomplish something. Also, if you're interested in sticker charts and token economies, I would love to do an episode about that. I have a lot of experience with it from behavior Mm -hmm. analysis as well as doing it as a child in -hmm. therapy. So if you'd love to know how to set up your own sticker chart, token exchange system, I will do an episode on that. Should we move on to the next question? Sure. All right, so this is a big one. Our next question is in an email. And the question is, at what point do we say that we have tried all non-medicine treatment and look for a medication to help with select mutism? This person is emailing about their 13-year-old son. You've probably tried all non-medical treatments at this point based on your email. It looks like you've done your best to address it using different therapies. 
Although I do think it's very important to find a therapist who has um, experience with selective mutism, as this person had a therapist who didn't really know how to treat it, it looks mm-hmm. like. So I think it, if you're really um, afraid to try a medis- medication, I would first try to find an experienced therapist. And things change. You know, maybe at the time when you started therapy, there wasn't somebody in the area with SM mm-hmm. experience, but he's 13 now, so maybe revisit that and you may have some luck finding somebody. Right. And I think your son is 13. I think he's fully capable of expressing, like, you can talk to him and see if he's open to medication, if he's ready and he thinks that he's missing out on things and he wants to start I don't know, trying something different to conquer his anxiety and try it with his input. And I think, you know, being 13, I mean, it's tough to know what your situation is, but obviously, too, all children are different, but some kids will talk about it. I know Chelsea, we talked about it almost daily. She she brought up her concerns almost every day, you know, in the backseat from the car when I picked her up from school. But um, I know at 13, some kids just shut down and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want any attention put onto the subject but I think a lot of it too is in how you do it you know it doesn't have to be this big let's sit down and have a conversation about it I think with SM kids you really have to just be very nonchalant you know not a lot of attention on it and it's kind of like those you know like planting seeds or whatever you know just just kind of feel them out just see if you can you know sort of have a conversation about it without it being a really deep focused conversation right. even if it's one question a day like you know what do you think about this or mm-hmm. um just to kind of gather his perspective if he won't you know just be forthcoming and sit down and talk to you about it right there's other ways to have that conversation i think a lot of people are afraid to try medication and i think that's too bad because i think a lot of kids are missing out on experiences mm-hmm. well, it's that's, not necessarily yeah. i can see how you'd be afraid to try it or you'd rather do a less intrusive treatment. But I think at a certain point, if you're not making progress, it's really important to look into that option. I don't think. Yeah, I think with you, um, we when we started therapy, they did ask us at the first meeting what we thought about medication, were we willing? And at that point we had said, no, we just would like to try therapy first. But it did get to a point where I just felt like I was doing you a disservice. Mm-hmm. I felt like you were missing out on your childhood and you were verbalizing to me that you felt different and you didn't want to be different from the other children mm-hmm. and you couldn't participate in things. Um, and I could see kids leaving you out of activities because they just yeah. kind of gave up on you a bit. I think the older you get, it gets harder. Like kids aren't as understanding. Like yeah. if your son's 13 and they're still not talking at school, that's heartbreaking Yeah, you're at that point. That is true. I think kids, I could see it with you in the younger grades, kids are more forgiving, I think. They'll say anything, they just blurt anything out, but they're also more forgiving. And the older you got, it became interpreted differently by the children. You can be the weird kid, you can be... Kids just see you as not an option anymore because they've known you for years and they've given up on trying to talk to you. Yeah, it gets tougher. So it takes finding the right one. I mean, with you, we only tried one and then that was it, that worked. Right. Um, but I've heard online other kids have to try, you know, many before getting the right one. Yeah. But it's it's always going to be an SSRI, you know, like any medicine. If you start reading the side effects, <laughs> you wouldn't take even Tylenol. Right. But it is a very personal choice. 
you know, I just think for you, whatever was us, some kids, for us, it got to the point where right. you were missing out on your childhood, and that's what tipped it for us. Right. I would make a list of pros and cons. Like, what is your kid missing out on, and mm-hmm. what are the risks of trying a medication? And I think, too, it's also how you present it to the child, because I think sometimes it can be looked at as, I couldn't do it on my own, right. or like a failure, so now, you know, now I need medication. Sorry. But it's the same as any other. You know, if you have a headache, you take a Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, just have that conversation and sort of really give it some thought and do what's best for you. Mm-hmm. This person also asked if, they, if there's any information about therapy animals being of help for someone with selective mutism because they are doing equine therapy, which is horses. So I personally am afraid of horses. I <laughs> I think we talked about this in a previous episode where mm-hmm. I had a cat and I think that was extremely helpful for me. It wasn't a therapeutic type thing. It was just a pet cat. The reason we got the cat was therapeutic, <laughs> even though she wasn't a therapy cat. We just felt like, you know, you wanted friends and you didn't really have any friends. And I was looking specifically for a cat or a kitten that would be gentle. So we did end up, I was actually looking for a ragdoll kitten, Mm -hmm. but we weren't successful in finding that. But we did get you a Persian and we did pick one that was um, very shy. She was very timid and shy. Mm -hmm. She was a gentle cat. Yeah, Yeah, she was I've always loved animals and I think I found comfort in them. So I definitely think you should keep doing what you're doing. If your son enjoys hanging out with horses, then... Good for him. I think it could also encourage further social interaction with others if he has interests like that where he can channel his passion. And it's a great, you know, like reading. I know homework and coming home and having to read out loud. Um, a lot of people read to their pets. Like if you won't read to your parents or mm-hmm. read on the tape recorder, we could say, you know, go to your room and read to Karina. That was your cat. Um, you know, it's like a little playmate or it's just comforting, somebody to love. So I think animals are great. Okay, so the next question is, how do you tell your child they have selective mutism without them feeling like there is something wrong with them? My daughter is seven, and we have discussed her difficulty talking in certain situations, but not the official diagnosis. It's important to explain that everyone deals with anxiety, but you have it to a more extreme degree. I think you don't necessarily have to give the diagnosis. Like, your seven-year-old might not even understand what that even means. So I think you could just explain anxiety and that you're going to help her deal with anxiety. Yeah, I think it depends on the child. Like, you know, if the child's at, first of all, if the child is asking. If they're asking, they want to know. They want an answer. Mm -hmm. They want an explanation. So I think you, you know, you help them out and you let them know it's okay. Right. Some kids may think, get like a diagnosis and then they feel like there's something wrong with them and there's they're different from everyone but someone else may find comfort knowing there's a name for something that has Mm -hmm. been causing them all this problems in their life right so i think it's it's very individual again i think you go by the child if they're Mm -hmm. asking then they want to know if they're managing on their own without uh, needing that label just maybe focus more on the certain behaviors that Right, like you're having a problem with doing this, so we're going to work on that. I do think in telling the child that they have selective mutism or not, one of the indicators is, you know, if you think your child's self-esteem is suffering, um, then I would go ahead and have that conversation because then I think they do need uh, comfort or reinforcement that, you know, we understand this is what you're feeling, this is what's going on, but don't worry about it, we're going to help you. 
and other people have it and other people overcome it. So the next question is what do you wish someone had done to help you with your SM when you were a child? A lot of it has to do with school and the way teachers reacted and just like accommodations for certain assignments like being more understanding. I think you're right. I think teachers is probably the biggest thing. You know, at home, we, we got it. We had sticker charts. We worked on it every day. And at school, when you had a teacher that worked on it with us, we were in a great place. Things were going great. Right. Because um, you're making progress. And the times are tough when you don't have a teacher that's that's yeah. working with you. That's when it's tough. And it should be across the board. Every teacher treats you the same way. So they're all, you're all on the same page working towards the same goals, but it's not always going to be that way. So I think if you have a teacher, I think the biggest thing is having a teacher that's working with the parent towards the same goals for the child, you know, just that they're willing to take the extra care. That was yeah. the biggest thing that when we saw progress with you. And then the next question is, have you met anyone else with selective mutism? And I have. Okay, so you did. This is a and question for me. I know. <laughs> You're but No, you did, but when did you meet them? I didn't meet anyone in my whole childhood until after I no longer had selective mutism, which was at um, Stephen Kurtz Brave Buddies program at Child Mind Institute in New York. And how old were you when you went to that camp? High school. But it was it was like really different to meet someone who had selective mutism growing up because I've always felt like I don't really fit in with people or I have trouble connecting with people, and it was just like so amazing to me to meet people that had gone through very similar uh, things in their life and we all ended up at the same place trying to help other little kids who were having the same issue so it was really interesting and it's crazy when you're little and you don't even know that anyone else has this problem and you think you're the only one mm -hmm. and you finally meet people who also had it that was a great experience yeah and i just want to again um, thank dr kurtz because he we just sent an email and he responded, and we FaceTimed him, and he said, come to New York. <laughs> so it was just um, great of him to uh, give you that opportunity, and uh, it was a great experience for you. And for those of you that don't know, um, Dr. Stephen Kurtz was part of Child Mind Institute in New York City. Okay, so the next question is, how should parents navigate social, social situations and holiday gatherings with their selective mutism child? So it would be good to do a whole episode on this since the holidays are coming up but we have Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up and that's a lot of seeing distant family members and your house being full of a bunch of people that you don't see very often so I think it's important to talk to family members ahead of time and ask them not to pressure your child to speak maybe encourage asking like forced choice questions so you're saying like oh like not an open open-ended question because that's harder for kids with selective mutism to answer so you could say oh what's your favorite pie is it turkey pie or is it pumpkin pie turkey pie turkey okay. pie chicken <laughs> pie i don't know so you're giving yeah. choices instead of just leaving it open and that's easier for them to answer but i know that some family members may be um i guess unreceptive to changing their habits with your child so what are some other things um you could try to prepare your kid for what to expect around the holidays. They like to know what's coming and what time things are happening, what time is 
your aunt and uncle gonna be here? What time is grandma gonna be here? So I think it's important to know like exactly who is coming and when. I know with you, we didn't really have a lot of relatives around, um, really just your grandparents, right. but- um, Cause they're all in Canada. Yeah, and we didn't uh, we didn't prep anybody or whatever with you coming over to the house. We just sort of let it let it roll and see how it goes. Um, sometimes if you became overstimulated, you would just leave the area on your own and go up to your bedroom or whatever. Yeah, it's just... good to talk about it beforehand and say if you feel like you need a break, go take a break. The only thing you know, I would the only thing I ever said I think was just to not use the word shy because that became a problem for you and you mm -hmm. hated the word shy. And if somebody did say the word shy. They were kind of blacklisted, so yeah. we just asked people, can you please not use that word? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was really it. I feel like there's a lot of um, gift giving also that mm. raises issues where you're expected to say thank you or hug every single person. So yeah, I'm trying to, that was very I would tough. love to do a whole episode on this because it's hard. I don't like hugging people. I'm sure other people can relate. I know. And we did, um, we should talk about that because before Christmas, we should do an episode on that. Yeah. We tried a few different things and you know, I don't know. It just happens when it happens. I think when your child's comfortable, they'll say thank you. Yeah. It's not that they're not thankful. It's just like you have a difficulty saying those words. Yes. You can always write thank you notes. That's, That's true. easier too. Yeah. So do you have any more questions? What else is on the list? Okay. So the next question is, should teachers address selective mutism with the class? And we did talk about this before, about how my teacher in first grade talked to the class without me, or actually, no, I was there. She said that when I'm ready to talk, I will talk, and I, I do talk in other situations, so... She doesn't want to hear people saying she doesn't talk, she's shy, blah, blah. Everyone just needs to stop talking about it, and I will talk when I'm ready. So I do think that was very helpful, and I think that teachers should address it with the class if it's a problem, where if your kid is hearing every day kids talking about them and just bringing it up every single day and it's causing your kid extra anxiety, I think it would be helpful to have the teacher talk to the class, whether your kid is comfortable with that happening with them in the room is up to you. I think for me, I would rather have not even known about it. Like if you had talked to my teacher and maybe they just talked about it when I wasn't in the room. But on the flip side of that, you really respected the teacher that she did that yeah. for you and stood up for you. And yeah. that was part of the warming but up process between you and her. That's the way that she did it was perfect. And I think there's room for error with teachers who would totally embarrass you, not meaning to. But if you're in the room and they're like talking about you, that can be hard. I think so, it's kind of in the heat of the moment because right. kids were saying things and she just wanted to stop it then and there. Right. And so um, mm -hmm. she didn't use a diagnosis or anything. She just sort of interrupted yeah. the class and said, look, enough is enough. Yep. You know, Chelsea does talk. That's enough. I don't want to hear it again. Again, I think it's mm. individualized. Like it's based on your mm -hmm. whole experience. I've seen people that have kids like presenting things about selective mutism, which is amazing. I could never do that as a kid. Right. Where yeah. they're going in the class and like showing like a video or something. And there's kids who have brought in books for the class where it's like about like, which I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. But that's really if, putting yourself out right. there. If it's helpful for your kid, then good for you. And <laughs> you should do it. So the general answer is yes. Yes. But depending on the child. Talk to your of... kid. Always ask your kid what, right. what, what they're they comfortable want. with. Right. Yeah. But if it's an issue, I would say definitely resolve it mm -hmm. with the teacher. 
because it is damaging. I mean, you for a long time, kids would say, she doesn't talk. Right, and that Chelsea sets you up talk. for failure. Like, you yeah. need an environment where you feel like you will talk, You can talk when you're ready, and if that's yeah. happening, you're not going to feel safe. Yeah, anytime there was a substitute teacher, some kids would announce, Chelsea doesn't talk, mm-hmm. so then how could you? <laughs> right. Teacher, it just yeah, sets they've you already up. said you don't. So, yeah, good question. Let's see what's next. Um, this is from the same person who asked the last question. They were asking about homeschool. She says, I'm considering homeschool not only prote- to protect her from bullying, but hopefully to work with her in a smaller group she's comfortable with and to build up her confidence. What are your arguments for and against this? I think, first of all, it depends on the age of the child. Like, yeah. we don't know the age there. I think we do, but... Um... I think it's different in older children. I think it's a different scenario. So, I have a lot to say about homeschooling, but it could even be another episode. I think the first arguments against it I can think of are your, if your kid is young. It's not really giving them a chance, I think, if they're alone, one-on-one at your home. They're not being exposed to other children. That's not giving them... It's not solving the problem. It's taking away the problem, which I think is maybe beneficial for their education because then they're not dealing with all this anxiety stuff, but then they're missing out on fixing their social problems, and you can't overcome it if you're not in that environment. Right. It takes away the opportunity to succeed. Now, I do think if this kid is a teenager and maybe school is miserable for them and they're being bullied every day and you've tried everything, then their education's being compromised. Maybe that's an option for you. Mm-hmm. This person seems to say that they have like a group, which I don't know a lot about homeschooling because I know some homeschooling people have like communities where mm-hmm. they are with other kids. So I do think if you have like a small group, it could be beneficial. Right, that could be Like community. the smaller group could be helpful. Yeah, I just think every child's different, right? right? And every situation is different. I remember, I've definitely asked to be homeschooled before. I don't ever, your brother did repeatedly. Yeah. Because he was ADHD, <laughs> but I don't ever remember you I, requesting that. I think when I was really upset, I just wanted it to go away. But at the same time, you just want selective mutism to go away. Mm-hmm. And by taking that whole aspect mm-hmm. away, you're not really facing the problem right I think I mean school is good as even though it's difficult but it also gives you a place to you know if you're going to therapy if you're doing the charts if you're doing medication Mm -hmm. it's gives you the environment to succeed in to to practice the skills that you're learning Mm -hmm. but like you said I think if the child is totally um, panicked where they cannot function in school the grades are faltering um, then maybe it's time to try something different. Yeah, and maybe or even a different school, or maybe a smaller class sizes. And right, there's a lot to consider. I mean, private school versus public school. Are there resources? Is there another diagnosis besides SM? Right. Um, that is impacting either the learning or the verbal. And then also, you know, there's the whole issue of teachers. Do you have a supportive teacher or not? This just it's a loaded question. Right. Yeah. And I think if you are going to do homeschool where your kid is not exposed to other peers, then it's super important to get them in other extracurricular activities, which brings us to our next question. Yeah, I think homeschooling, right. I, like he's, I think it's okay as long as you're giving them those chances and exposure and working on goals. Mm-hmm. But it's whatever's best. You know, ultimately, I think a parent 
an invested parent knows what's best for the child right with the child's input mm-hmm. okay so somebody asked us do you think karate or piano lessons might be of benefit to a five-year-old girl with selective mutism well i can start off by saying for you um i think you were maybe three or four years old we tried a few things so we started off with private drawing lessons. Actually, before that, as as an infant, you did swimming lessons with your dad. <laughs> we did gymnastics, yep. which went so-so. That was Dance. a group activity. We tried ballet tap class when you were three or four years old. Mm-hmm. That did not go well, and we ended up pulling you out of the class. Even though you enjoyed it, uh, the teacher was a little frustrated, and so we just ended up pulling you out. Um, you did taekwondo with your dad for like one lesson or something one free lesson i think you did end up playing piano through middle school or elementary girl scouts and then in high school you did band right so we've tried a lot of different things we didn't even talk about sports i did all the sports you played baseball actually on your dad's team softball you did do soccer yeah that's right so we tried a lot of things we kept you out there and I probably hated a lot of those. But... They were all uncomfortable. <laughs> but you, not to say you hated them, I mean... I hated sports a lot of the time. But like the ballet tap, gymnastics, yeah. drawing, like some, drawing was one-on-one. But like you asked to do the lessons. Yeah. But then, I mean, it was tough. They're not, it's not easy. Yeah. What do you think Do you the think it helped? Are? <laughs> um, I think it did, but it wasn't easy. I do think it's a good way to practice skills outside of a classroom setting so that's good mm-hmm. and you never know it could be com- obviously it's a completely different um, environment from school so maybe your kid feels more comfortable talking in karate than in the classroom you and never know and I think not even the verbal aspect but just the fact for you that you were getting up standing up in front of people mm-hmm. to, and doing something physical yep you're building confidence I mean piano lessons you did with a best friend yep and it was the teacher was one of was a music teacher at your school. Yeah. And you actually started doing the lessons at the school after school yep. before moving to the lessons at her house. Yes. So I think, you know, you have to be creative. If your child wants to take lessons, finding a way for them to accomplish that. And even though it's not perfect, maybe sticking with it because you may not think it's beneficial at the time, but mm-hmm. Looking back, I'm sure you are glad that you did all those activities rather than just staying home and saying, I can't do it. Yeah, yep. And it's too bad that I didn't stick with any of them. I, it's kind of hard. I don't know. Well, music, you, you went right through. I know. It allowed you to participate in band through high school. I know. It's just sad that kids are missing out on things like this because a lot of people like grow up doing dance or something, and that's how they know all their like lifelong best friends. And like it's just hard when you feel like you just can't do it that's right and because it's a big networking because okay. i wanted to do dance like that was something i was interested in and mm-hmm. i didn't i couldn't do it like i felt like i couldn't do it but i wanted to find something your kid is interested in that's where they're most likely to be successful but and i'll just say like you know it's not always perfect chelsea wanted to do the ballet tap class um she was three or four years old i want to say maybe four and I had called them before we signed you up to tell them sort of the situation. And they reassured me, that's okay, that's no problem. Um, you know, there was obviously a recital at the end. And they're like, don't worry about it. You know, we'll just see what happens. Well, that was on the phone. <laughs> when the classes started, it was a whole different thing. It was a tap class. And Chelsea didn't want to make the noise. That's funny. 
Yeah, it's I funny. didn't want to make noise with my feet or my mouth. Right, so she was dragging her feet along the floor. She wouldn't lift her feet to step <laughs> because that would make the tap sound. And um, after a couple of classes one day, the teacher just brought her out by her arm, kind of upset, basically saying she can't participate, she can't do the class. So after a few discussions and things, we did end up taking her out of the class because at that point I didn't feel it was beneficial. Funny, why do um, they care if we're giving them much, I think? So anyway, that was our ballet tap experience. It's tough. But I think it could be beneficial, so. You got some cute outfits out of it. Some cute expensive outfits, right? Okay, so the next question is about someone who has twins and they attended like a structured play date for parents and kids and one of her daughter's classmates invited her to play. So one of her twins said, I don't feel like playing with them and she tried to ask like, is it because of your anxiety? Like, why don't you want to play with them? So she's not sure how to approach and encourage social behavior among their peers. So I think this is a tricky one. I was very picky with my friendships. Like, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I was also very picky about who I was even interested in trying to be friends with. I think it's it's important to encourage socialization, obviously, but your kid is not going to want to be friends with every single person, or maybe mm -hmm. they weren't just in they weren't in the mood at that moment. Sometimes you just don't have the energy to mm -hmm. socialize. Maybe a different day would be different. I don't so, know. I yeah. think finding kids that have similar interests or I, just complement mm -hmm. their personality, it's hard to find. So with you, I would ask you, when you were younger, I would just ask you, you know, who in your class, if you could be their friend, who would you want to be friends with? And so you would tell me maybe two people, two girls, and then we would focus on those children or one child to try to develop a relationship with. And I, then I also spoke with the teacher and told her that Chelsea had indicated that she'd like to be this girl's friend. So that maybe, you know, sit them beside each other. If you need pair work, maybe pair them up together mm -hmm. just to maybe have a better outcome. Um, but I think ask your daughter, you know, who who is there that you might like to hang out with and then kind of go from there. Sometimes it's better, you know, just one-on-one, -on -one, not in a group. Yeah. Uh, where this was a group activity. Sounds like this girl is in fifth grade, so that's a bit older. Like, at that point, you're not really being, like, put on playdates. You're kind of on your own with making friends, so I think it's harder. But mm -hmm. I think if you're involved in, again, like, extracurriculars, like, if you're, say your daughter's interested in, like, art, if she's in an art group, she's more likely to find someone who is also interested in art. And sometimes, too, not an activity, like, through the school. If you get something maybe in the next town over or something. Right. You get a fresh pool of kids. Right. And I think, too, just, again, if she shuts down trying to have that conversation with her, because fifth grade, you're kind of at that point again. So much of it is just being just really nonchalant and just, uh, you know, sort of putting it just very casually, asking your questions and... Uh, sort of gathering information to kind of get her point of view if she's not willing to just have that conversation, what kids she might be interested in hanging out with, whether she finds it easier when her twin is present or to do it individually without her sibling. Yeah, the whole twin dynamic's interesting to me. I don't know how that affects the selective mutism. I bet it's interesting. As a parent, sometimes we can be, you know, Yeah, like you're just trying to fix everything. Like not everything has to be related to selective mutism. Like you got to pick your battles. I think that will come in time. You don't really need to be pressuring your children to 
engage with every single peer. Like they'll find certain people that they're comfortable with and you want to promote those relationships. Yeah, and everything doesn't really have to be planned either. You could just, you know, I don't know, drop her up at the library for an hour and go back and pick her up. No, but, you know, just for exposure, it's opportunity to maybe meet classmates and right. can always be planned, you know? I would say exposing, like exposure to more kids, like you have a better chance of meeting someone that they'll get along with mm -hmm. through more opportunities. I hope you found something helpful out of this. Uh, we have a bunch more questions, so stay tuned for that. We haven't forgot about you. Thank you for listening. Yeah, so thank you to everyone for submitting your questions. Um, it was really interesting to see the the array of topics covered. It yeah. brought back some memories. Uh-huh. It's kind of, it puts you right back there. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook so we can continue these types of interactions. And make sure you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And thank you to everyone who has already done that because it really helps spread awareness and helps other people see our podcast. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, and we hope you all have a great week, and uh, talk to you next time. Goodbye.